Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Glad you're with us. And uh, if uh, you're a first-time guest or you've been coming and I've never met you, uh, I really do mean this, would love to meet you. Uh, so after the service, please drop by, say hello, introduce yourself. I'd love to know you. Timothy and I really value knowing people who are, are part of this community. We are continuing uh, this morning, as you can see behind me, in a series that we started a few weeks ago in the Ten Commandments. Uh, today is something that we're also calling Vision Sunday. Uh, our hope uh, in at Christ Central is every January we want to recast the vision and the mission of our church to remind us who God is and what God has called us to here in this city. And, and so this morning I'm going to do that in some ways in applying the sermon. Uh, but as Timothy mentioned, we also have the State of the Church at 4 p.m. this afternoon and would really uh, want you to come back. If you're just checking us out, this is a good thing to come to, just to hear about all that we've been a part of, all that God's been doing, and what we're looking uh, forward to in 2018. And uh, so please come back uh, at 4 o'clock here. This morning, as we pick back up into the Ten Commandments, we are looking at the third commandment. And it's a commandment that I think many of us know, but it's superficially understood. And it's this command, you should not take the name of the Lord in vain. I'd say the majority of us think that that means we should not cuss, no cursing, never saying GD, never saying Jesus Christ exclamation point. And it is forbidding cursing. But it's so much more than that. And I pray that God will open our hearts and illumine our minds to, to really understand that this morning. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word. Very short passage this morning. One verse from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would now come and speak to us. Thank you that you've given your word, the scriptures, and you've given the spirit of God to communicate the scriptures to our spirit, to apply this in the ways that you know each of us need it. And so would our minds be engaged, our hearts in a good way, disrupted, plowed, so that your word could be planted deep within us. Transform us, I pray. Lord, remove me, the preacher, so that Christ and Christ alone is exalted. And I do pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, will be pleasing to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I think we all would agree that there is power in a name. There's power in a name. It's why we all know people who are name droppers. Maybe you're one, right? People who like to drop names of people that they might know into a conversation as a way to say, look who I know, look who I'm associated with. Names are powerful. They can open doors. I mean, seven years ago, I took a trip to California to spend time with some friends in Los Angeles. And then I drove up Highway 1 to spend time in San Francisco, and a good friend of mine from college runs a large hedge fund with four other people there in the Bay Area, and he called ahead to this swanky boutique hotel in San Francisco and got me a room in the heart of the city at an extremely low cost. And when I arrived, they said, oh, Mr. Mason, we're so glad you're here. Any friend of Will Stegall is a friend of ours. Glad you're here. 
Now, what would happen if you tried to go to San Francisco and you attempted to find this boutique hotel and, and then you used my friend's name at check-in? And then they called him and shocked and surprised, he would have to say, I have no idea who that person is. See, there, there is power in a name, but there is danger in misusing a name. Claiming a name and not being really associated with that person can hurt more than help. Using the name of someone is, in essence, identifying with them. Let me say that again. Using the name of someone is, in essence, identifying with them. Think about a marriage ceremony. Now, I know in our current culture, not everybody takes the last name of a person that they're marrying, but, but many still do. And at the end of a wedding ceremony, a pronouncement is made. I now pronounce to you Mr. and Miss Daniel Adam Mason or Mr. and Miss whoever. And what is being declared in the taking of a name is that the person now identifies with their spouse. Who they are is wrapped up in who this other person is. That is why taking the name of the Lord in vain is so serious. Claiming the name of the Lord is identifying ourselves with him. And yes, there is power in his name, but there is also great danger if we misuse his name. Using God's name is not forbidden. In fact, the Bible teaches us to use his name. How how are we taught to start the Christian life? Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How does the Bible teach us what to ask for in prayer John 14, 13 says, ask anything you ask in my name, you will receive. How does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The name of God is central to all things because God is his name. His name is shorthand for who he is, for his character. And if we misuse his name, then we dishonor God. We dishonor God's character. So I want to look at four things this morning. What is the meaning of taking his name in vain? How do we take his name in vain? How do we honor his name? And then what happens when we honor his name? Let's look first at what does it mean to take his name in vain? J.I. Packer in his commentary says in vain means, quote, for unreality. What is forbidden is any use or involvement of God's name that is empty, frivolous, or insincere. For unreality. That is saying that we use God's name as if he were not actually God. Or as if we do not actually, in our reality, live like we know God. The Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated into Greek, translates in vain as Quote, bear name thoughtlessly. Bear name thoughtlessly. That's what J.I. Packer is saying. Empty, frivolous, insincere. It's like me when growing up in our household, we would say a prayer before every meal we ate. And then it was, we called it saying grace. And uh, I always said the same prayer. Bless the Lord for these are gifts for which we're about to receive from my bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, someone after the first service came up to me and said, I said the same prayer, and and actually we said it so fast in our house that some people thought we were speaking Latin. (laughs) That's pretty good. The the prayer is, is a good prayer. But again, saying it so fast without thinking, 
I don't think I ever, as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, thought, what does it mean when I pray from thy bounty through Christ our Lord? Amen. I didn't think about it. And what God is forbidding in the third commandment is that we do not take his name. We do not identify ourselves with him and it not be in reality or it be thoughtless. So how do we take his name in vain? I think our identity could be boiled down simply into our words and our actions. Who we are is defined by the words we use and the actions that we live by. So what I want to do is look at how we take his name in vain by words and by actions. So let's look first at words. And I'm going to give you three categories. There are more than this, but for the sake of this morning, I'm going to give you three categories where our words reveal the breaking of this commandment. Irreverence, promises, and agendas. Irreverence, promises, and agendas. Let's look first at irreverence. I think this is where cursing can be placed. When someone says GD or Jesus Christ exclamation point, they are associating the bad things that just happened with God. And that's dishonoring God. That's taking his name in vain. But our irreverence goes much deeper than when we rage and, and blurt out a cuss word. It happens in our worship. Did you notice our call to worship this morning? Purposefully chose Psalm 113. Praise the name of the Lord. Do you think about the call to worship? Or do you listen thoughtlessly? When we sing the songs that we sing, are you engaged in thinking about the words that we're singing? When Timothy or myself or somebody else is preaching, are you thinking about the word of God or is your mind and heart in reality at the lunch table or already on your to-do list that you need to accomplish today? When we come to the Lord's table, do you come and just rip off some bread and pop a cup of wine in your mouth and return or do you come and think about what's happening at this table? Are you engaged? Our reverence can also be seen in how we might trivialize God, trivialize God's name. I've mentioned before the Netflix documentary, Last Chance You, about the East Mississippi Community College football team. Two seasons now available, love this show. Uh, And watching both seasons, struck, just dumbfounded by how these coaches can be dog-cussing these players. I mean, wearing them out. And then it's like, all right, team, let's huddle up and pray. And everybody huddles, and it's like, our Father, who art in heaven, how be I now? Can you come? Like, and they say it as fast as I used to say grace, right? This is trivializing God. And I don't see this as much anymore, maybe because I push against anything like this because of coming up in the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, but I can remember all the T-shirts and all the bumper stickers I used to see. God is my co-pilot. This blood's for you as a ripoff on Budweiser. God's gym is like a Christian lifting weights, like a ripoff on Gold's gym. That's trivializing God, taking him lightly. Here's a second category under our words, promises. This is swearing and promising to tell the truth and not bear false testimony. Think about some of the big ways we might do this. Uh, Not everybody is married. You've witnessed marriages, but think about a marriage vow. What you say in your marriage vow is, I promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better or worse, sickness and in health. And when someone breaks their marriage vow, it's not just 
hurt and pain inflicted on their spouse. It is first and foremost a breaking of the third command. It's horizontal damage, but more so vertical damage, a relationship with God, because you have promised in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to commit to your spouse. Think about church membership. There are five questions we ask in church membership, but just let me give you the last two questions we ask when people, someone joins a church, our church. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you submit yourselves to the government and the discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and its peace? How are you doing at that? And we all make little promises all the time. We tell people we're going to do something, and we never do it. I mean, I am guilty of this. How, how often will I say, I'll pray for you, and then I don't? Surprise, I'll say that happens for me. I mean, what am I doing? One, as a Christian, and two, as a pastor in his name, that I will do something, and then I don't. I'm breaking the third commandment. Jesus is pretty clear when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We get ourselves into trouble when we unthinkingly promise, when we make empty promises. J.I. Packer says, the godly person will make promises cautiously, but keep them conscientiously once they are made, knowing that irresponsibility and unreliability are great sins. Third category under our words is agendas. Using God and God's name for our own personal or corporate agenda. Personal agendas. I think this can happen when someone tries to claim some omnipotent insight into one's life. Like they're, the plan that is happening. I think this happens when someone says, I know what God's doing in my life right now and wants to forecast what's going to happen. I mean, really... I just don't think we can claim God's sovereignty for the plot line that he's writing for our lives. I think this can happen when someone says, God told me X. God told me this. Now, we are Presbyterians, but unlike many Presbyterian churches, we, Timothy and I, do not deny the gifts of the Spirit. But when someone says, God told me blank, I want to know, did he really? What did it sound like? And you may have heard the voice of God, but don't drop the trump card and claim God's voice for your personal agenda when you're not sure it was God. That's taking God's name in vain. And it's not just personal agendas that people use God's name for. It's corporate agendas. It's using God to serve the interest of a collective. And this happens all the time. It happened in apartheid South Africa. Afrikaner theology argued that European settlers were the chosen people of God. Therefore, they could conquer the land. A vision not altogether different from our own colonization of Native Americans. It happened during the Civil War when the Southern Church would claim God's approval over their use of slaves. It happened in Germany when the Evangelical Church became the German Reich's Church, many sign, signing an oath of allegiance to Hitler, saying this was the work of God. And it happens today with the politically right and the politically left. Everyone wants to use God's name for their agenda. And God becomes the mascot of whatever political party that we're trying to represent for the purpose and agenda of that party. We've got to be careful not to confuse the kingdoms of this world and their aims with the kingdom of God and his aim. 
Whenever we do, we dishonor God's name. It's not just our words, though. It's also in our actions. It's our words and our living. Our actions must back up what we profess with our mouth to identify with. I realize there are many of you in mourning. You're grieving this morning because both UNC and Duke lost. I had some UVA people afterwards say, I'm not in mourning. I'm good today. But if you are a Duke fan, you identify with the Blue Devils. You do not cheer for UNC. If you are a UNC fan, you identify with the Tar Heels. You do not cheer for Duke. If you identify as a person's friend, your actions follow. You spend time together. You trust each other. You confront and encourage each other, but you don't talk about each other behind their backs. And no matter what's being said, if you do, you're not friends. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that many will cry out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will respond, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying words are not enough. Your words must take on life. You can have a lot of Bible knowledge. You can be involved in a lot of ministry. And the scary thing is you can begin to take his name in vain because you're not known by Jesus. We can use God's name to make ourselves feel superior to others. We can use ministry to feel important. I mean, it is, it is frightening as a pastor whose job and vocation is ministry. It's also frightening as I think about the church as an organization and organism. The church can be a place where it's easy for people to seek out power, where it's easy for people to seek out others, to listen to them, to respect them. The church can easily become a place where the religious feel good about themselves a place to advance our own name rather than make much of Jesus' name. Identifying with Jesus, taking his name, it means going all the way. Everything you do, your job, your family, your body, your time, your relationships, your money, honoring him. The negative of the command is do not take God's name in vain. The positive way to say this is honor God's name honor God. So how do we honor his name? I want to tell you a, a powerful story that I heard referenced from another pastor, a true story to drive home how we might honor God's name. It's a story that occurred in World War II. A woman named Peggy Harris from Vernon, Texas, lost her husband Billy in the war. Billy was a pilot. He helped lead the D-Day effort there in the war. And at some point, he was shot down over German-occupied France. And as the plane was going down, he was headed right toward a French village called Levant. And the only thing Peggy heard was that his, his plane officially went down and Billy was dead. She never remarried. She was never able to move on. So a relative decides that they're going to do some digging into Billy's death. And what this relative discovered was amazing. That there were eyewitnesses in Levant that saw Billy headed towards the village and he purposely banked his plane into the woods in order to divert crashing into the heart of the people. And the relative looking into his death found out that there was a, a local grave with his name on it. Saw a picture of his grave with flowers piled up knee high. And to the relative's great surprise, the plaza in Levant was named Plaza Billy D. Harris. I don't know how you say that in French. Plaza Billy D. Harris. Top of that, three times a year, 
people would march through the village to a monument made in the honor of Billy. Seventy years later, the people of Levant still march three times a year to honor Billy Harris. CBS covered this story a few years ago and showed the then mayor choking up with tears at the mention of his name and said, we will never forget, we do not forget Billy Harris. Now, could you imagine an adult in this village overhearing some kid flippantly talk about Billy Harris? What do you think they would do? Do you think they'd just yell, hey, hey, kid, stop it? Or would they tell this kid, hey, come here, let me tell you about Billy Harris. Let me tell you how he averted harming this village. He gave his own life for the sake of the village. This is why his name is so special. The way we're going to honor the name of God is when we are gripped by the truth of what he has done for us. When we behold Jesus, the name that is above every name, and we see how he lived his life and gave his life in death, to divert God's wrath, to to have God's wrath poured out on him rather than us, to save us and to heal this world. Jesus took our name. He became a human, associated himself with us, bore our poverty, bore our shame, bore our sin in his body, and died on a cross. And when the greatness of Jesus grabs our hearts, we become fully engaged, completely devoted to him. And that's when we take his name, Christ. We become Christians, meaning who we are is wrapped up in him. And we seek to defend his honor by our words and by our lives. When Christ becomes great in our hearts, it becomes a reality. We will not thoughtlessly go about our day and our time without him in mind, but seek his honor in all that we do. Let me end by applying what I've been talking about, to the vision of Christ Central Church. What happens when we honor God's name? It's a passage in Acts 19 that I meditated on this week that I think really drives what we've been looking at this morning. In Acts 19, the Apostle Paul is ministering in Ephesus, and God is doing extraordinary work, extraordinary ministry. People are being healed, healed of sicknesses and diseases, and demons are being cast out. And then some Jewish exorcists come in. They come in to to cast out evil spirits and the demons, and they say this, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims, come out. These are known as the seven sons of Sceva. And this man in whom the evil spirit dwelt responds, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit dwelt leapt on them and mastered all of them danger in misusing a name. And this became known to the whole city of Ephesus, and it says that fear fell upon Ephesus, not afraid that they're going to be mastered, but awe, just awe-inspired by who God is and by who Jesus is. And then the text says, and the name of Jesus was extolled. And then what happened when the name of Jesus was extolled? Acts 19.20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What happens when God's name is honored? The word of God increases and the church of Christ prevails. The kingdom of God marches forward. Christ Central Church, why do we exist? We exist for the glory of God and the good of Durham. 
What do we want to see happen? We want to see spiritual renewal happen, which, which means seeing individual lives changed, community formed as we believe the gospel, as we belong to community, as we all become more and more like Jesus. We want to see social renewal, which means we want to cultivate dignified interdependence between all people that then leads us to mercy and justice for individuals and in our systems. We want to see cultural renewal, which means we want to integrate faith into our vocations, our recreations, and creations. And the way I believe this will happen is when we are a people who live wholly devoted, engaged to the Lord, that our identity with Jesus is in reality. We seek his honor in all that we do. For when we lift high the name of Jesus, the gospel will go forth. Lives will be changed, society will be healed, and culture will be transformed. The kingdom of God will advance. 2018, do I want us to be a church that behaves by these values that we hold tightly to, like grace-centered. It's a value we hold tight, tightly to. Always. Always, not just 2018, but every year. Do I want us to be worship-driven? Always. Do I want us to be cross-cultural? Always. Do I want us to be outward-serving? Always. Do I want us to be a kingdom catalyst, which means God creates a movement through us to the city and to the world? Always. This year, though, I pray that will happen as we identify ourselves with Christ by being overwhelmed by who Jesus is and by what Jesus has done. For this is the only thing that will propel us to honor him in all of our words and in all of our actions. When that happens, I believe God will be glorified. And I believe this city of Durham will flourish. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would cause our hearts to bow to the name that is above every name and know that in Christ there is salvation, there is the glory of God that blows us away. God, I pray that you would do this, and as we know you and are associated with you because of your work in us and our faith in you, that, that you would be honored through us, Lord. You'd be glorified. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.